0: Hello, soccer players, welcome to this latest episode of the soccer fitness experience. On today's episode, we are featuring a special guest, Nate Seberg, and he's going to discuss the 21st century model when it comes to college soccer, and how it will impact player health and performance moving forward. So hope you guys enjoy the show let's start out very very basic will a six-pack help me as a soccer player logically why pre-game meals are important if
1: you do strength training you can generate more force on the ground it will take you less
0: stride to get to that ball until you get there you can make that up with hard work and dedication and training on top of it right so if you're a player that has little to no training history imagine the the gains of speed that you can get in such a short period of time because you're doing things this is why strength training is important i don't care how you do your strength training i don't You know some people like to go to the gym i just wanted to double down
1: on that really quick the point is you have to get stronger
0: hello soccer players welcome to the latest episode of the soccer fitness experience it is me your co-host andy with my main man berg berg how you doing today bro busy bro it's Is been he? busy today just yeah been
1: running around yeah been running around all day um i signed a new client today so yeah. that was good that was that was some victory that's what's up that's what's up bro but i also i had a coaching call with somebody else and i just realized some of the pitfall of actual um of coaching right you know when you coach you know sometimes people have like real mental health issue real confidence issue that's not just surface level mindset so you got to be able to have a way to deal with that because otherwise you're going to have a client that's not getting result and it's not because of your strategy but because of like some deep trauma man so that's what i found out today so uh we got a win and uh, not a dub but um an experience step i forward. would say step yeah forward. Nice. what about you man how you been? um
0: I'm chilling, man. Right now I am wrapping up my uh my residency process down here in Florida. Oh, moving back shoot. to uh, New Jersey in a few weeks. But uh that means I gotta catch up on all the projects that I haven't finished yet, including uh wait. two publications. So <laughs> I've been oh uh, I've been I've been writing today, writing a lot of words, and uh yeah, that's that's the vibes. That's the vibes right now. That's where you're at. You passed yet. Uh gotta wait till June to hear from this test, man. Oh my. God, you yeah. got to wait till June. Got to wait till Talk June. Talk about the anxiety,
1: the yeah. anxiety of waiting. Oh,
0: that's gone. that's that's gone. That is gone. I was okay. there for about a week. it has
1: gone already. It's gone. <laughs> oh my it's God. Gone. Bounce back. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not caring game is good. He's just, he just don't care. But I like um, that
0: though. But yeah, today we got we got a special guest, Nathaniel Seberg, who's, uh, who's from Iowa. And he is a former collegiate soccer player. Um, he is also a current DPT student and, um, he messaged me on Twitter the other day and we were talking about the, the new proposed model for college soccer. Um, so Nate, welcome to the show and yeah, just tell us about yourself and, you know, give us the basics as to how you ended up where you are right now in PT school.
2: Yeah. So, uh, my name's Nathan Seberg, Nathaniel, um, gone by a lot of names over the years, you know. Nathaniel's long and hard to say, so whatever's shorter. Um, I grew up in Illinois, played club soccer in Iowa, actually, because I went to a private school, and then um, eventually I played my college soccer at Drake University, um, which is located in Des Moines, Iowa. Best city in Des Moines, or best city in Iowa, best school in Iowa. Um, So I did my four years there, it was great, loved every minute of it, Um, and then yeah, physical therapy school came, took me to Iowa City where I am now.
0: Nice, nice. So when you say best school in Iowa and best school in Des Moines, it sounds like you're maybe taking a little subtle shot at some other schools in the area. What's going on there?
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, Drake is Drake's a private school. We're a we're a mid-major school. We don't, you know, we don't have the athletic prowess of Iowa State and Iowa, but you know, we've got heart, we've got spirit. And uh I just gotta Gotta represent my Bulldogs everywhere I go.
0: Like that, <laughs> I like I hear that. that. There we I go. Hear that. So, um, can you can you like just give us a a kind of overview on your collegiate soccer experience? And um, a lot of people out there who are listening they they are young soccer players in high school. They're playing club, and um, just give us if you can like a few insights on like what it's like to be recruited as a collegiate athlete if you can.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, when I was playing, I mean, I'm only 24 now, so I'm still pretty fresh out of college. But when I was getting recruited in high school, we didn't have the same rules that a college coach couldn't talk to you until you're a junior. So I was able to talk to coaches a little bit earlier, um, but it was stressful. You know, that's the first time that you've your coaches growing up have said you're good. Your parents obviously think you're good. Your mom thinks you're like the best player ever. Um, but it's not till those coaches start talking to you and you think, you think, yeah, maybe I got a shot at this. So, um, I would say just keep your options open. I know a ton of people that, um, have either burned bridges with coaches kind of, kind of disrespectfully when they choose not to go to a place and then, well, their number one choice, it didn't work out there. And they're kind of, now they're in the transfer portal. They're looking for other places. I would just say, you know, be a great human being. Be respectful. Be kind. Never burn a bridge because you never know when a relationship's gonna gonna really need to kick in for you.
1: Huh? That's 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 powerful what what you just said because um, it's not about it's not just about your athletic and your and your and your skills ability here. It's it's also um your bedside manner. Um, Someone told me that, too, a long time ago. He said, hey, whatever relationship you develop, man, just continue nurturing that relationship. Um, Never burn a bridge because you you never know where the helping hand is going to come from. Uh, So it's better to have everyone in your corner than rather than piss off um, somebody else. I actually know a lot of cats who are actually very good at soccer, but didn't get recruited because there's just personality. You know, they just were just too disrespectful. and uh, and yeah they were just too disrespectful and and you're going to college right you you think you're the best kid in the block right your ego's to the roof and you're talking to coaches and you're showing attitude while meanwhile the coach is talking to uh, five other guys that are the same if not better than you so always keep that in the back of your mind you know you you know there's, there's always somebody that's gonna be at the same level or better so
2: yeah. And, a way to and even, even then, like, yeah, just just going into your first year in college when you get there. I mean, I remember going in my freshman year and you'd been the person you'd been you'd been your your captain, your number 10 in high school. Like you are calling the shots. And I get to our first training session and I was like, holy cow, thought I was going to come in and play in the midfield. And I was so slow <laughs> on the ball. I was killed. They were like, why don't you play out? out at right back like let's just let's just put you out there and i was like all right sounds good
1: <laughs> yeah the game the game is so much faster as you
0: go up a level oh yeah yeah but um tell us tell us okay so you know you go through this whole recruiting process and then you end up playing collegiately um did you know the demands of what the the rigors and the intensity of like a collegiate schedule was and that kind of brings us into um, some mm-hmm. of the reforms that that we're currently looking at right now but um we're I, I know it's different one way to see a game schedule but what was it like to live that experience and can you just give us some details on to what that was
2: it's it's crazy I mean you think you get you arrive for preseason beginning of August and then from that time you step on campus, you are living, breathing, doing everything with your teammates, with your coaching staff for that preseason week. So you get you get two, three weeks of preseason, and you are doing nothing but footy 24-7. Well, then preseason ends, you're in the middle of your fall season, and now not only do you have footy almost as much, but now you got class. You got to go to class. You know, can't miss that. Got to do well. So you have the physical demands of just you have two to sometimes maybe three games in a week. Like there'd be days that we would have a game Sunday. We'd have a midweek game and on a when Tuesday when night. When you're having and these games, uh, this
0: is something that I learned just a few years ago. Hmm. It's not like they're like, Oh, you know, you have a, a Monday game and a Thursday game or, Oh, you have a Wednesday and a Saturday. It's like, no, a lot of the times with these collegiate schedules, it's like game Friday, Friday night and then a game Sunday afternoon or like what, what was in, in your yeah. experience? What was the spacing like for all of your games and, and everything?
2: So it's, it's pretty conference dependent on when you'll schedule. So we played in the Missouri Valley conference and our conference was very like Tuesday, Friday, Sunday schedule their games. So you have probably, you know, two of those three slots are filled with a game And then you're probably going to throw like a midweek non-conference game in there as well. So you've got some weeks we'd only have one game. That'd be a nice week. We'd just play on the weekend. Other games, you know, you play, you get that Tuesday game, midweek, Wednesday to recover. And then you're already looking at your 48 to 72 hours out from a game and whatever your preparation phase is for the next game. So it's a really quick turnaround.
1: Jeez, and that's not taken into account if it's an away game either, because you got to recover from that. Taking the bus, going on the bus, and coming back, you have to take all that into account, which all adds to the 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 stretcher, stressors that you're experiencing.
2: How was yeah? So we my, injuries. My, my soft. Oh, uh, injury! <laughs> injuries are tough. Injuries are tough. So I, I, I experienced a lot of. A lot of injuries in college. Um, my freshman year, I, I was healthy, um, and I played limited minutes uh, coming off the bench. My sophomore year was really the time I was going to step up. Um was starting at right back, and we played Xavier, first game of the season, got smacked around. The first training session that we got home, I broke my calcaneus. So I stepped I stepped on Drake University is famed for our uh, Drake relays, our big track meet. So we have a big blue track around our home stadium. And so I stepped half of my foot on there and just rolled my ankle and broke my calcaneus in half, subtalar fracture. Um, so I was out for the rest of the season on that one. Um, but that it's part of the quick game. So your season is only – 72 days at some points and so by the time that I was able to get back from that yeah it's six months down the line but you know if we're doing a full season where we're playing in the spring again I got back for my spring season
1: my goodness Can you so, injury just like that? that's crazy that is crazy
0: yeah that's crazy
2: So yeah, injuries are tough.
0: Now, Nate, can you talk about what this new 21st century model would look like and what kind of changes Mm -hmm. that would bring to, to teams in like yours, you know, like teams that have so many games and it seems like everything is very condensed. How does this model make things different?
2: Yeah, so I'll talk about the way it's currently set up right now. So currently a men's NCAA Division One season is around 72 days from beginning of preseason to end of the regular season. So you've got a couple months. Maybe preseason is a little bit on top of that, but that's very fast. In that time span, you're playing around 20 games, maybe 21, depending on who you're scheduling. So you're averaging a game practically almost every three to three and a half days you got to play a game. If we look at the other leagues overseas, if we look at the Prem, their season runs, you know, August to May. It's around 270-ish days or so where they're playing 38 38 games. Yeah. So between them, if they're not playing midweek competition, they're averaging, you know, 7.1 to 7.2 days in between games. So just to look at those two numbers – The NCAA season is so compact. You're playing an extreme number of games in such a tight window compared to every other league in the world where we're seeing this expansive season, you know, proper recovery. So people took notice of that. Smart people, way smarter than me, way more influential than me. But they said, you know, we got to do something because say you go down with a preseason injury. Well, that might cost you three to six weeks. Well, that's almost half of your season in some points if you go down at a certain point. So you lose a, a player, maybe your best player. You could be, that could change your season entirely. And so there's been people that said, hey, maybe we should stretch this over two seasons. So instead of playing all of college soccer in the fall, we say, what if we do it in the fall and the spring? So we expand our season, we keep the same number of games, we can add on a few more exhibition games. But now we're not dealing with midweek games as much. You're not going to have to do a Sunday, Tuesday, Friday night game, something like that. We're playing the same number of games, long season. Let's reduce injuries overall. The data that they've shown up to this point uh, when they've looked at similar leagues at similar levels has shown significantly fewer injuries, especially overuse injuries. Those are the big ones that we want to repeat or prevent, I should say. Like if I go into a game and I have the unfortunate as uh, I go into a challenge really bad, roll my ankle up, you know, that's just unfortunate. That's one that we can't really prevent, but it's the, the hamstring strains, the calf strains, you know, all these that are micro traumas that are coming from all the accumulated wear and tear that we're seeing on our bodies from playing 20 plus games in a three month window that we just, we got to figure out how to do that. So yeah, the model shows expanded over two seasons. Let's pre- let's play games in the fall, games in the spring, and then have uh, the tournament, the conference tournaments, and the NCAA tournament in the spring as well.
1: That to me, that sounds like a that sounds like a great deal to me, right? The season gets to be run over a longer period of time and. You know, players have a chance to recover. Now, have you, have, have, has there been any pushback to that at all? It's hard to imagine, like pushback, considering you know, it's it's the health of the players. Um, it's just supposed to be much better with this model. Like, has there been any pushback to this model at all?
2: There has been some pushback. So, um, a lot of the people see it at. There's some cons about. You know, a lot of places are concerned um, that it's going to cost more money. So now we have two seasons of travel versus condensing everything down. Or maybe you could do one longer road trip in the fall, play two away games against two close opponents, where now you got to stretch that over two seasons. There's also concerns that some people bring up about uh, where we're going to play conditions conditions wise. So Hmm. right now, really, you're just running into serious weather kind of at the end of the season, you know you get into November in Iowa, at least in all our Northern States, we're starting to get, you know, some flurries, some cold nights. Uh, every Gosh. time you watch the college cup, you know, there's a couple of years ago it was in Kansas city and it was snowing during the the college cup, which is crazy. Like I know our conference tournament, my senior year was practically, I think the field temperature was zero, was maybe nine degrees out. So oh. we run into that only, only for like the final final stretch of the fall season well imagine if we have to start games now in in march and february again they're concerned with well how are we going to do that with our fields we're still playing outdoors so in iowa i mean it's march 13th here now and uh we got snow on the ground again so like what would we do we got to find some indoor places to play then so people are concerned about the financial implications of that having more wear on their field um there's been some pushback as well from, from some student athletes. I, I think the, the purpose of it, as well as to reduce injuries is to, you know, make the game more professionally, like give it a more professional feel, you know, everywhere else plays across two seasons. Um, it would correlate better to a professional model so we could see an easier transition. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard. You don't get the, the quote unquote college experience, then, you know, you don't get to be a a college student going out every single weekend and doing all this stuff, um, which if your whole purpose is to be a college student, then, uh, it would probably reduce the number of those individuals on college soccer teams and, uh, kind of cut down on the people that are just kind of there for, for the, uh, experience and the reputation booster.
1: I see
0: hmm. those are those are a lot of yeah that's yeah, a valid points. point too, yeah, yeah, you know,
1: I mean, you know with those universities, man, they're always gonna try to cut costs anywhere they can, uh so <laughs> if if anything you know when they bring stuff into the negotiation table, money always comes up, and uh if they can find a way to solve this injury problem with less money, everyone will be on board, but unfortunately it's not it's not it's not all sunshine and rainbow, huh.
2: Yeah. And, yeah, it's um, not. I think I think Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. I was gonna say back to that, Berg. I think that there's they're beginning to push a little bit more the financial hardship of injuries on the colleges as well. So I'll talk mm. about my situation for a bit. So my sophomore year, I had my first uh my first foot fracture. So that put me out until fall or till spring of my of my sophomore year. Well, our first game back of our spring season, where we play just exhibitions, uh, I had a fifth metatarsal fracture. So Ooh. there's surgery on top of that that the school's got to pay for. Well, then oh, the
1: school pays for the surgery. Oh yeah, man. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this is new information. I didn't know that. That's sweet.
2: Yeah. So at the at the Division One level, I'm, it differs between institutions, but the way it worked at ours is that you run it through your, your parents' primary insurance first, or your caregiver, whoever has primary insurance. And then the university will then use their insurance as a secondary and pick up whatever out of pocket costs you would have to pay or anything like that. Uh, So yeah, it's it's nice. Um, But so yeah, there's a, there's one surgery. And then, well, I go back from my fall of my junior year and Six games into that season, I break my fifth metatarsal again. So there's another surgery. So now the school's picked up whatever my surgery costs times two just to do that. So, say that's your, say if uh, a team is experiencing an average of one ACL tear a season, well, hopefully, yes, there's a lot more biomechanically and, you know, imp- balance of strengths that's going to go into your ACL tears. But if we just use that as an example, then you could possibly save money on that by preventing those injuries and preventing the financial burden that the university sees from those.
0: Now, Nate, let me ask you this. How do you think college coaches are going to adjust their training um, to this new model? Because, it would, in my mind, that you can either go to one of two ways, right? You can go with the traditional weekly periodization that we see with most clubs and most professional teams. Um, Or we could run into the case where instead of just being overloaded through games, you're being overloaded through practices, right? So how do you think most coaches are going to adjust to this new schedule if it should happen?
2: So I know the coaches are a huge proponent of it for that periodization uh, element you know they want it's hard to implement training and coaching and developing players when you have to see results every 3 days or if i have a, if i play if i play a saturday and then i know i'm going to play next saturday so my sunday's my recovery day monday i'm warming back my starters back in i'm getting my guys who didn't play as many some fitness and my reserves are, are more on training. And then by Tuesday, I'm implementing them back in. Well, if we have a game Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm not getting any of that ability to teach, just even recover some some tactical sense and some fitness back into my starters. It's all just recovery from game to game. We don't really have that chance to develop players. And I, if if I'm the coach, then I have a choice. I can either, you know, work on developing the guys that aren't seeing as much time, or I can try and hone my starting unit together, grow them, bring in the few guys that are going to come off the bench for me to get results. Cause at the end of the day, I got a mortgage to pay. Like I got to get results to keep my job. And so Mm -hmm. it's hard to focus on the development of, of younger players. So I think that, yeah, the periodization is great, but it would give them the ability to, you know, shift and, implement a little bit more of development into the younger guys, maybe not be so reliant on their accessory coaching staff to kind of bring those guys along.
0: Now, that that is great. Um, and my question that was kind of going to go off that is, how will the MLS and the NWSL um, respond to this? Because I'm sure that teams would love to see these players receive more development and everything that you just mentioned, but their league calendar and their draft doesn't really align well with um, with these new changes, do they?
2: Yeah, no, that is definitely something that I have to sh- that would have to shift. Um, and it is for this, it's just we're guys kind, of kind of talking MLS right now. I know the idea has floated to have a 21st century game in the women's side as well, um, but they've actually had more people be against it than on the men's side. They've had a little bit more pushback from some coaches and more student athlete pushback as well, which is, I I don't understand that. Um, yeah, I I don't know why that is the data that they've shown Hmm. has more anti views against it, but, but yeah, that would have to be something that to change.
1: As you said, you know, these players are thinking about the, the, Collegial experience, and if they're not getting that, and I can see how it's going to get some pushback. They're not really thinking in terms of um, uh, um, health, um, and wellness of the team, and uh, just longevity for the season. I can see, I can see yeah. how they yeah, get that- some pushback.
0: Yeah, I was kind of more of thinking of with yeah, the amount of I mean, non-contact injuries that the the female game gets, especially in college, especially with these, mm-hmm. you know, these pre-seasons. I don't even want to call it that, but you know, they're like 2 weeks long, you know, like the amount of injuries that you're going to get from having that being condensed and having the season shortly after that and playing every 2-3 days, I would expect them to be more on board with it. Me too.
2: Yeah, I I would as well. I mean, I know the the people that I still am in close contact with in the women's side of the game, they're all for it. Um, so it it's a tough balance. I don't know I don't know who to ask about why not, but there is that there is that uh, evidence out there.
0: So, what's kind of the the next step for this this model to be introduced? Does it have to be voted on, or like what's what's going on there? Is it moving forward? Because it it, was, it had a really big steam and a really big engine a few years ago, and then ever since COVID, it, it died down a little bit. But it's starting to it's starting to come back again, isn't it?
2: Yeah, there's been some some more resurgence and some more voices speaking in favor of it. Um, I know that they've recently sent out a lot of stuff to to the institutions and to the student athletes and the coaches saying like, here's our, our advocacy um, statement, like join us, put your names on it. Let's, let's get this in front of bigger panels. Um, the big thing, yeah, it would be a, a vote from uh, NCAA boards and policy members um, to institute it, which is going to be a lot of uh, both athletics directors at institutions and uh other individuals who solely work for the NCAA. So the ball is in their court at this point, I believe.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. So there's there's no way to expedite that process and put some pressure on them so they can get so they can make a decision um sooner rather than later. Because you know this whole thing is politics, man. You could be sitting with this thing proposal for ten years before before it gets implemented because these people have so much to do, and if if you don't bring that to their attention all the time, it could go back into the into the pile of folders and stuff that they got to deal with.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So
0: well, yeah.
1: What what can we do? I was gonna say, Andy. What what can we what? What can we do to, you know, push that model? Like, you know, since you own here, you on a podcast. This is obviously um, also it serves as some publicity to the model. Um, I didn't know about this model until today. Um, like, who else is is um, steering this movement? Who it's like, who else is talking? Who else is talking about this?
2: a lot of it is is coaches and players right now are are the big driving force both in the college game and some in the professional game on in the american side as well and i think the biggest thing that people can do just to support it is honestly support the college game itself make people realize that like you want you're invested in in these college teams and yes it's never going to get to the level that basketball or football is at but Make it at a higher level. You look at some schools around the country that do great at this, that are selling out all of their home stadiums. I mean, huh. when we would go and when we would go and play Creighton, they would sell out the stadium against us. Craziest atmosphere I've played in my entire life. And then you've got other schools that can barely put 30, 30 parents in this in the stands at a home game. You know, so it's just advocacy and support, and you know, getting out. Um, making your voices heard i think the popularity of american soccer increasing as well is just gonna help it and push it in the right direction um with all the new developments that we've seen with st louis getting a team and charlotte fc coming in um breaking the home attendance record like we're pushing in the right direction um i think it's just going to kind of be a lot of a lot of little straws that eventually break the camel's back
0: Yeah, and there, there's a ton of um, really high profile institutions and individuals who are who are pushing for this change. I'm kind of just reading off of their their Twitter feed right now, but Pitt, Virginia Tech, Clemson, UNC, um, all being very vocal with their support of this model, as well as even uh, societies such as the the Collegiate Athletic Trainer Society for for soccer. Um, the people that are kind of leading the charge with with player health and wellness, they want it to happen too. Um, so it, it, it sounds like there's a lot of parties that that really want this to happen. And um, I, I think I've learned enough, Berg, that uh, I'm ready to endorse this model. And I, I think it'd be a very, very good change for the collegiate game. Um, I think it'll give it a a more professional feel, and it'll just give it a a feel that I think is more conducive to what the game is supposed to be um, yeah. with with the amount of of games and training sessions that are going right now in the collegiate game like like Nate said there's just not enough time to for a team to develop right you're you're just kind of going day to day and game to game but with this new model it, it's something that'll that I think will change that and I don't know about Schuberg, but if you know if I have the choice to watch a, a championship outdoors mm-hmm. and I have to choose between December and May I want that sunshine, man. Like let's play in beautiful weather and let's <laughs> make it happen, you know?
1: I want that too. <laughs> it's never, even though I play in the snow, but it's 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 not the same thing. It's not the same thing when you play in nice weather and the conditions are favorable. <laughs> favorable, it's not.
0: So are are we ready? You know what? Let's let's do this. Berg, you want to Let's make an endorsement. You know how, like, in politics, people endorse each other and things like that? Should uh-huh. we endorse the 21st century model? Should we endorse it? I think we should, as physical I, I think therapists. We should. Yeah. As you know physical I think therapists,
1: we should. we should totally endorse this 21st century model. Because who wants to be injured? Like, you think about it. You know, fresh in college, trying to get some playing time to get more experience. And then you you end up with some some micro-terrorism, some repetitive injury that just keeps nagging for the rest of the season and you can't just show up the way you want. Uh, Nobody wants that. And, you know, with those congested schedule, uh, which is, like, worse than some of the... It's just, like, so bad because, you know, I used to complain about the high school games. (laughs) Just, like, Nick just kind of, like, crushed my understanding of collegiate games because that schedule is, like, packed. And we're talking about on a higher level. So it's it's a lot more competition, a lot more injury, and you know if if players can actually get developed and play the game without being injured, and less less cost, less money um, that the school has to lose in terms of insurance money, I I feel like it's a it, there's there's benefit.
0: Yeah, and the and the one thing we haven't discussed is the. Um... The the midseason break and the timing of that, because I was looking at the calendar and correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, but it seems like athletes would be able to enjoy Christmas and Thanksgiving at home with their families without having to, you know, be worried about a cup final that's kind of squished in the middle of those. And it, it seems like it just, you know, allows for people to have a nice break in between semesters. Mm.
2: Yeah, the way that they've, they've set up that schedule works really well. That break time, you know, how important the holidays are just to spend time with your family or if you're from overseas playing here, it's still a bit of a break similar to what they do overseas. But yeah, I mean, thankfully I, thankfully or not so thankfully, you know, I was with my parents on Thanksgiving every year because we were done playing by that point. But if you're pushing for the College Cup and you're in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, you're still playing games. Like, you're not at home. So, I, yeah, I think that's that's pretty great as well.
0: Yeah, nice. Perfect. Um, do any of you have anything else to add to kind of this discussion as we wrap things up?
1: Mm, no, I think I think this is a good model. Great model. Like, I'm just, just looking at the model before where the games are just so compact. It's just... You know it's impossible. Imagine you just play your heart out in a game, all right? You just give everything, and you won by like two one, exhausted. And then, <laughs> and then, you look at your schedule. You got a game like the next day. Like what? Like <laughs> it's like what? I can barely walk after the game, and you want me to show up and play at that same level the next day? And I'm the star player. Imagine I'm the star player, and and I'm doing I'm I'm doing the grunt work in the team. And then you ask the same performance of me the next day. Like, how can I not get injured?
0: Yeah, that's true. And um, yeah, I I fully support this model. I think it's something that from a a player development perspective, it's, it's optimal. Um, But also I think for just the, the overall educational experience too, you know, having that ability and that time off between semesters to, not only go home, rest, and recover, but also prepare for final exams and projects and everything like that. Um, I, I think, from a purely academic perspective, um, it is it is more reasonable, and you're not missing class during the week to to go fly off or do whatever for your for your team's games.
2: Yeah, less midweek games is less time off school. I, even if you uh, you leave at twelve o'clock on a Wednesday, so you miss your Wednesday afternoon classes. You're probably not going to get home until Thursday morning early or, you know, Thursday, 8, 9 a.m. And then what you slept on the bus, got to go to class now. Or are you really concerned about your sleep and you're going to tell a little white lie and just say you weren't back in time and skip class? So I think Mm -hmm. for academic performance as well, you know, time in the classroom uh, is a big, big push as well.
0: Nice. Well, um, Nate, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your your expertise and and guidance um, for explaining to us what this model really is. And um, yeah, we hope to hear from you soon. And uh, best of luck as you finish up uh, your last few months of PT school.
2: Thank you. I really appreciate coming on. on. Yeah, thank you.
0: All right. Well, um, everyone, make sure to uh, give us a five star review if you haven't already.